أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين واللعنة الدائم على أعدائهم أجمعين من الآن إلى قيام يوم الدين السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters I hope everyone is doing well and welcome to another episode of our tafsir of Dua Kumail podcast we, in the last episode, talked about these two issues that Ali ibn Abi Talib brings up in Dua Kumail. And he talks about how even if he is able to withstand the punishment of the hellfire, there are still two other issues that are beyond him being able to bear. It's beyond the idea of him being able to tolerate these two other issues. So the first one was this. He said, وَهَبْنِي صَبَرْتُ عَلَىٰ عَذَابِكِ he said, let's just assume I would be able to take the punishment of yours, the, you know, the punishment of the hellfire. How would I be able to take the idea that I am distant from you and I have been distanced from your presence? And we talked about that a little bit uh, in the two episodes ago. And we explained how essentially the greatest pleasure that a person can have in heaven is just that relationship that they have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that connection that they have, that nearness that they feel. And we explain how the verses of the Qur'an have alluded to this multiple times and in multiple verses of the Qur'an. And then also we said that if you essentially take this and flip it and you talk about hellfire, then you will see that the biggest and the most difficult punishment in the hellfire is just the idea of someone being far away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not being happy with them him not feeling proud of them. So we talked about this and we also gave this analogy of individuals who have every other form of support from the people around them. They are people who are cherished. They are people who are, who are revered. They have the fame. They have the money. And you'll see this in celebrities a lot of times. But the one thing that strikes their heart more than anything else, the one thing that is really, really, really special to them at the end of the day is how the people who supported them throughout the years, how they feel about them. And that's why you'll see sometimes when they're getting their award, they're up on stage, even though there are thousands of people there standing and clapping for them and just throwing praise their way. But still at the end of the day, usually you'll see that they will not you know, shed tears until they start talking about the people who are the closest to them and how happy they are that they feel that these individuals are proud of them. That's the biggest pleasure that they have. So we elaborated on this topic quite a bit. And then we also moved on to the second issue that Ali ibn Abi Talib brought up, which was, again, let's say I would be able to go through this difficulty and bear the difficulty of the hellfire. But then how would I be, how would I be able to deal with this? How would I be able to sit there and watch your generosity and we said that this is not coming from a place of jealousy it's coming from a place of a person who knows they had so much potential that they could have fulfilled but at the end of the day they didn't do that and they know that it's their fault and they know it's because of their shortcoming just the idea of having this regret at the end of the day that i could have been so close with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but look at what I did to myself. That regret is so serious. It is one of the greatest punishments that you will find on the Day of Judgment and in Hellfire. And again, we talked about this as it relates to the verses of the Quran. 
And we said we have surahs of the Quran that are named after this concept. One of them is Surah Al-Taghabun, which refers to this idea. Okay, moving on from this, Ali ibn Abi Talib made it clear that I will not be able to take the idea of being away from you. Even if I go through the physical punishments, the mental or I should say spiritual punishments, I would never be able to take that. So now, again, with this talk that he's having with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this conversation that he's having with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is now going to essentially start to threaten Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you will see the way he is threatening him, it is very clear that it's purely out of love. And it's really just a form of praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, it's just like saying, for example, if you have, you know, a very close and near and dear friend of yours, right? And you want to, you know, in your own world of friendship, you want to threaten this individual. You're not going to really threaten them by saying that, listen, I'm going to call, you know, the police on you or I'm going to I'm going to steal something from you. That's not how you would threaten them. Right. In the world of your friendship and this relationship that you have, especially if it's a really, really close relationship that you have. You will threaten them with other things. For example, you might say, you know what? Next time, I'm not going to spend time with you, right? Or I'll go around and tell people what you did to me. I'll go around and tell people of how, how you didn't answer my call, for example. Now, is answering a call or not answering it such a big deal in the real world? No, not really. But in the world of your relationship, that's how things are working. So Ali ibn Abi Talib is going to threaten Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it's not even a threat. He's just showing that he has he's so vulnerable, number one. And number two, it is actually the greatest form of praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is what he says. He says, Or are you telling me that after explaining that I wouldn't be able to bear all of this, that I would still end up in hellfire while I'm waiting for your forgiveness and you won't forgive me? Is that what you're telling me? In other words, he's saying that's not going to happen. He says, okay, فَبِعِزَّتِكَ I swear by Allah. And again, I mentioned this. This is all hypothetical talk because as we've mentioned multiple times in the podcast, when someone asks for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is readily available. It's there. So this is hypothetical. And as we touched on it before, he's talking in this form that if you don't show me this mercy, what would I do in order to show that he does not take the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for granted, number one, and number two, to show how much he is in need of this mercy. Okay, that this is where he's going. And we'll talk about how earlier on in the dua, he also talked in this format as well. So we'll go back to that because we touched on this before. But nonetheless, he says, listen, if I'm going to end up in hellfire, then you know what I'm going to do? Okay, you force me to do this now. <laughs> what is it that he's going to do? فَبِعِزَّتِكَ يَا سَيِّدِي وَمَوْلَايَ أُقْسِمُ صَادِقًا I swear by your might, my master, my lord, أُقْسِمُ صَادِقًا I swear truthfully. لَإِن تَرَكْتَنِي نَاطِقًا When you put me in this hellfire, you're not going to take away my tongue. I'm still going to be able to talk. So you know what I'm going to do? لَأَضِجَّنَّا إِلَيْكَ بَيْنَ أَهْلِهَا ضَجِيجَ الْآمِلِينَ while I am in the midst of the hellfire, I will lament to you. I'll cry out to you, right? You will hear my cry. Why is this like sounding like a threat? 
because it's a threat because of how merciful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Because when he hears a servant of his who calls for his mercy and calls for it genuinely, not the type of calling where people don't want the mercy, but just because they're the place that they are is hot, for example, they're going through a punishment, they call out for mercy. Not that, but genuine. The genuine type of call for mercy. He knows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so merciful that if someone calls him out genuinely for the mercy, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will definitely respond to him. So he is technically using this as a threat towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? It's kind of like knowing someone has a soft spot for you and how kind they are. And then you tell them, you know what, if you don't give it, give this to me, I'll ask you and I'll ask with a please, for example, right? And I'll really, really like ask you in a, in a very vulnerable position. That's your threat. What does that mean? That means that they are just such a kind individual that you would know automatically that if you asked in a very kind manner, right? And you really said please a couple of times, you would know they would not be able to say no. It's a weakness in them that they will not be able to say no. Now, of course, this weakness doesn't apply to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? He's kind because of how great he is. But just so we can relate to it in terms of the way we speak to one another, sometimes you'll see people, they're so kind. And because they're kind, you will sort of use that kindness as a weakness that they have. Because you know that if you ask them in a very, very special way, they will definitely say yes to your request. This is kind of what like Ali ibn Abi Talib is saying with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, you know what, if you put me in the hellfire, well, you're not going to take away my tongue. I'm still going to be able to talk. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cry and weep to you, right? And I'm going to essentially let everyone know that I'm in the hellfire. And I will cry to you amongst those who are crying or cry like those who are crying for help, right? I'll cry, the type of cry where everyone knows I'm I'm looking for you to help me. And I will cry like the person who has lost someone who's very near and dear to them, right? You've seen a mother, for example. When a mother loses their child, they don't have any peace. They don't have no calmness. They don't have any tranquility in their life anymore. Every second, they feel like a part of them is missing. He says, I'm going to cry like the one who's lost something very, very special. And then what I will do is I will call out your name in the presence of all of these other individuals. I will call out and I will say, where are you? Oh, the one who takes care of the affair of the mu'mineen. Well, here's a mu'min. He's in the hellfire, but he's calling you. And his call is genuine. It's not the type of call that's fake, right? And we talked about this before. The type of call that's fake, no, there won't be there won't be no response for that. But the type of call that is genuine, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy is going to be there for that, right? He says, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be calling out who's the one or where is the one who takes care of the mu'mineen? Because here's a mu'min, right? And it seems as though no one is taking care of his affairs. No one is there to help him from the help, the hellfire. This whole you know, approach that Ali ibn Abi Talib has is a very special one. You also find this in Munajat Sha'abaniyah. Munajat Sha'abaniyah is another one of those du'as that of course, as you can tell by the name, is recommended to be recited during the month of Sha'aban. And in that Munajat, what we read is this. The Imam says, Ilahi, in Oh Allah, if you were to ever hold me accountable, 
because of my wrongdoings, my shortcomings, my mistakes, you know what I will do? Because essentially I have nothing else to do, but I know that you have a weakness. And again, I'm emphasizing, I'm just using the word weakness just so that we can relate to this concept better. It's not a weakness for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's in fact a greatness of His. But the way we would speak to another, the way two friends would speak to another, right? He's saying, I see this weakness in you. That weakness is how forgiving you are. So if you come and you hold me accountable and you say, you know what, because you did this wrong deed and this wrong deed and this wrong deed, uh, then you're going to have to end up in hellfire. Then what I will do is I will hold you accountable to how forgiving you are. Yes, I'm terrible. I did a bunch of wrong deeds. But then again, you're very forgiving. You're very kind. So if I am the way I am, and you are the way you are, well, then you have to act the way you are, which means that you have to forgive me. And if you hold me accountable to my sins, I will hold you accountable to how beneficent you are, right? How forgiving you are. Yes, I'm, I'm bad, right? But you're good. And just because I'm bad doesn't mean that you who we said is very forgiving and very kind, should not be kind and forgiving towards me. Okay, now, there are certain limitations for this kindness, or I should say rather certain conditions, not limitations, but conditions for someone to qualify for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So that's there. But once someone qualifies, then they can do this. They can essentially, they are threatening Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But is this really a threat? No. This actually shows how vulnerable the individual is, how stuck he is, that he has nowhere else to turn to, right? And number two, it's actually a praise for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That imagine the biggest threat that people would have against you is that they would ask you nicely. They would ask you kindly. That they would beg you for help, knowing that you are so kind that you would never say no to them. So this is a threat. I called it a threat at the you know beginning of the episode. But of course, it's not really a threat. It's actually the best form of praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. The munajat continues. And this line is really the punchline of, of this part of the dua. It says, And if it ever reaches a point where you actually put me into the hellfire, you know what I will do? It's very beautiful. Again, the, the tone of, of a threat. أَعْلَمْتُ أَهْلَهَا أَنِّي you know what I'll do? I'll go around and I'll tell everybody that I love you. What does that mean? You know, I'll go out there and I'll unveil the secret. What is the secret? I love him and he still put me here. He says he's kind. He says he's forgiving. Well, I love him. Again, this is the most beautiful way of praising the kindness, the, the forgiving, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is forgiving, the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that I'm going to use this against you. Right? I'm going to use this because I have, not, I have essentially no other tool at my disposal. The only tool I have at my disposal left is the fact that I know you have a soft spot for a servant of yours who genuinely asks for forgiveness. So if I end up in the hellfire, you know what I'm going to do? Well, I'm going to go around and I'm going to tell everybody that I love you. And everybody knows that whoever you love or whoever loves you, whoever genuinely has love for you in their heart, that you will show them mercy. Yes, the one who doesn't qualify is the one who has no love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that shows in their actions. It manifests itself in their actions in this world. But the one who has even a little bit of love 
in their heart for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that mercy is going to be there. Now, how will that play out? That's a whole discussion. That's a separate discussion. But we know that this person is going to qualify for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one way or another. And then these, I'll add these two lines and we'll move on with the rest of the dua. He says, If you look at my deeds, right? And you see that my deeds, they do not live up to the standards of how I should be worshiping you. Well, let me tell you what I have on the other hand. But on the other hand, I have a lot of hope in you. And because of ha I have a lot of hope in you, that should make up for the lack of good deeds that I have. This is not a threat. We called it a threat, but it's not really a threat. It is just a way of how two friends who are so close to one another and one is so in need of the other one and knows how kind he is. That's how these two friends will be speaking to one another. So going back to Dua Kumail, Imam Ali says this. He says, you know what? If I end up in hellfire, that's fine. You're going to put me in there, that's fine. Put me in there. And again, this is all hypothetical because if someone does toba before they leave this world, then none of this is going to apply to them. But he says, you know what? That's fine. If you actually end up, if I actually end up in this hellfire, you know what I will do? I will go around and I will call out your name and everyone will see that I am genuinely calling for your mercy, but you are not being merciful towards me. And we know that that will never happen. Okay. It's very beautiful, these lines of, of Dua Kumail, how, you know, you know some of these du'as that we have from the Ahlul Bayt, I know that this question comes up very often, that some of these du'as that we have, and of course, Dua Kumail is a little, you know, it's a separate discussion, but other du'as, maybe Dua Josh and Kabir, sometimes when you look at the chain of narrators and who, who narrated this hadith and where exactly it came from, it's a little difficult sometimes to actually trace it back exactly to, to our Imams, right? But then some of these du'as, you can just tell that the person who recited this du'a, the person who said this du'a, you can tell that these are not words that just any human being can think of. These are not words. This is not a conversation that you can just strike with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and start with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This must have had some sort of divine source. This must have had some sort of divine inspiration. Now, whether you have a chain of narrators for it at that point or not, it doesn't matter too much because at the end of the day, you know that it, it wasn't a normal human being who was able to speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like this. And the reason for this is because when you look out in the world, right, in religious texts, and not even in religious texts, but just literature where people are speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you do not find talk, you do not find language, you do not find a tone and approach that is as deep as what you find in these du'as. And because of that, of course, looking into the chain of narrators with our hadith is always important. And that is one of the areas where people who do not have proper Islamic studies will always struggle in that area because it's a very, very complex topic. And uh, inshallah, if we get a chance, we'll discuss it in some other, you know, in, on some other platform. But having said that, when it comes to some of our du'as, first of all, the content of these du'as are things that we already believe in. That's the first thing. And second of all, the way the wording is and the way the tone and the approach is, you can tell that this is a special servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking. It's not some narrator who, have, who could have come up with something like this. I could give you and me, you know, a thousand years to come up with this type of approach or this type of, you know, wording for a du'a 
and we would see that we wouldn't be able to come up with anything like this. And then when you, you know, having said all of that, then you take into consideration the Quran, then that just, you know, now it's just, you know, day and night, right? When we look at these du'as and we say, you know what, it's not possible for you and me to come up with something like this, then just imagine what it's like when we think about the Quran, of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has constructed this Quran, how he has put it together from these same letters that we use every single day, right? You know, the letters that we have at the beginning of the surahs, one of the opinions is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just showing us what he can do with these basic letters that we use every single day. You know, just like a chef, a chef might look at you and say, hey, you know that those eggs and flour and oil that you're using and you're making a food that's okay, I can use those simple ingredients and I can make something spectacular. I can create a masterpiece. One of the opinions when it comes to huruf al-muqatta at the beginning of the surahs is that exa exactly. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing us that listen, alif lam mim, you know these letters? These same letters that you guys use in your everyday talk and you guys ta be talking about, you know, like the Arabs at that time were talking about camels and, you know, maybe the person that they were in love with and maybe like, you know, how beautiful, uh, I don't know, the, the garden in their house was, for example. This, these letters that you guys use for this, look at what I have created with them. So when you look at this, you look at these du'as and you're like, well, this du'a, there's no way a normal human being could have come up with something like this. Then when you look at the Qur'an, then there's definitely no way a human being can come up with something like that. When you look at the Qur'an as a, as a whole, in terms of how comprehensive it is, how deep it is, and the other aspects that it has. So anyways, having said that, these lines of the du'a are very beautiful. And he continues with them. The next line says this, Ya ghayata amal al-harifin. So inshallah, we'll, in the next episode, we'll delve a little bit deeper into that. And the continuation of this conversation that Ali ibn Abi Talib is having with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we'll move on to that in the next episode. Until then, keep us in your du'as inshallah. Uh, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.